Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us once again. This is episode 128. We are recording this at 5 p.m. Pacific time on Monday, May 31st, 2021. Happy Memorial Day to everybody. Uh, I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. And uh, guys, uh, how, how's how's the long weekend been? I, apparently not as exciting as your long weekend because you celebrated a birthday and you and Todd both went to these movies that we're going to review today. So I have to ask, do you know what each other thought of them? Have you I, fraternized behind the scenes? I think we spent 30 seconds on it and then moved on. So okay. oh, basic, basic, like initial reaction and that's it. Hmm. Okay. Very mysterious. I like it. There's a buildup. I, I, I will say uh, there, there was some, some cornhole involved and uh, cornhole. It, I, I've upgraded from the crutches to a boot and cornhole in a boot is not, not fun. Oh, it's fun. It's just not, not very effective. I sucked. That's what I'm saying. I sucked. Well, I mean, if you had crutches, it would be impressive if you could even do it. So that's true. That's true. Todd, do you still have that sidearm approach? You know, you're like the Philip Rivers of cornhole. You got like this kind of sidearm motion thing going. You still do that? No, not really. I think you're thinking of you playing horseshoes, Zach. <laughs> oh, I could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think. I, I'm, no, I'm actually thinking of Todd playing horseshoes. Never mind. I, I now remember I what cornhole is. There was definitely Todd. Definitely had a sidearm motion. Yeah, like I threw it like a frisbee. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. No, I'm not. I don't do that, that with the cornhole. That would be interesting. Someone should try that sometime. I'm sure it's been done. I, I was much You're more effective. Sober. I was much more effective uh, shooting the beanbags like a basketball than I was at uh, actually tossing them. I wonder if anyone's ever tried to drop kick them. Todd did yesterday, actually. <laughs> wow. Because mine was so off, it was going to hit him in the foot, so he just kicked it in, on the way over. Yeah, see, you're you're kind of paralyzed, Terry. You, can't, you couldn't really do that yesterday, it sounds like. Yeah, it was not good. It was not good. Not good. But yeah, I, I, I celebrated a birthday this weekend. Zach celebrated an anniversary this weekend and the end of a school year. So. Yeah, very exciting. I've been madzing it up since about Friday. So, yeah, this is the most sober I've been in a long time, which is kind of disappointing. <clears throat> but well, we I got, we got two hours to fix that. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, uh, make sure that you subscribe, rate, review all over the Internet. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. Also, uh, almostsideways.com has all the info for all of that. All right. Well, Zach, since you have been modsing it up, what are you drinking today? Uh, I'm drinking a Storm Chaser IPA out of the fabulous Free State Brewery. It is that storming time uh, here in Lawrence. We're, we're also celebrating the two-year anniversary of a tornado hitting here. So uh, I thought in honor of that anniversary, I would uh, uh, storm it up. 
And I'm forgetting how hoppy this is. This is uh, quite an adventurous ride. I feel like, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman in the back of Bill Paxton's truck with Dorothy. It's like, uh, it's, a, it's a rocky road out there, but it's it's a fun one. Todd, I, I feel like that that explanation felt like Fred Randall describing the ship as it hurdles back down to Mars. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if I can make myself any clearer. Is that something from the League? I don't understand that reference. No, it's, it's, it's Rocket Man. We're going to have to oh. deep dive that at some point. I was also thinking that you should have poured the beer into the Starbucks cup just for old time's sake. I have I have a Starbucks cup here <laughs> as like a lifeline if I need it. Todd, what are you drinking? Uh, another gin martini out of the same glass with the onion. Is it the same onion? No. Okay. No well, you said it was the same glass and the onion. So... Is an onion onion and gin, is that a real thing? Or did you just come up with that? Well, it's a cocktail onion. It's, it's for martinis. So oh. I didn't come up with it. If I did, I'd be rich. <laughs> uh, I will say I am disappointed that uh, you are not honoring yesterday's uh, uh, partaking of uh, Long Island iced teas. Yeah, there, there was a tasting. For yeah, sure. that was a <laughs> beverage of choice yesterday was Long Island iced teas. Oh, man, that will mess you up. Was there a golf course involved, too? No, no. Oh, too bad. No. I don't All know right. what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm not really sure either. Uh, so we, uh, so I went to the brewery today, and uh, I wanted something a little lighter, so I got one of their ciders. And so this is the Aries Blueberry Cider. So it's blueberry and Myers lemons. Pretty good. It's pretty good. It's nice like to have wine. A, it does, but it's not. It's cider. It looks no, like really terrible wine. Illinois Center, Myers Leonard, not Myers Lemons. Meyer Lemons, yeah, they're Meyer Lemons. Anyways, all right. Well, that's over with. Let's move on into what we have been watching, and we are going to start out by. Let's see here. Let's go into the cager. Todd, take us. Okay. From 2018, we have the Tim Hunter directed movie Looking Glass. Uh, this is the 88th edition, no, 38th edition of The Cage, or number, movie number 96 uh, that I've seen from Cage. Um, the movie centers on May and Ra uh, Ray and Maggie, which are Nicolas Cage and Robin Tunney, and they buy a hotel in the desert. Uh, to sort of have, have like a fresh start because her kid died um, and then some suspicious things start happening so Ray uh, decides to explore this tunnel that he finds on the property and he comes across a one-way mirror that is pointed at one of the most popular rooms in the motel and he peeps in on like some wild sex stuff and like and also things that would imply some sort of dark underbelly of the motel and of the city in, in, in general uh, it starts oddly like meditative it's almost like a Lynchian movie but kind of underplayed and the hints that have said something else is deeper lurking but make the surface make gives you like hitchcock type vibes but it's more like a wannabe hitchcock wannabe like it like it more like idolizes body double than it than it idolizes rear window because it has that like sort of psychosexual um vibe at times and like but it's more like imitation than it actually is innovation um i I'd say I, I like we don't get enough movies about people like reluctantly buying a motel for like a set for like a um, like a, a fresh start. But this is the second cage I've done that has that exact same subplot because in Kill Chain they do the exact same thing, and that was like <laughs> the same year. Um, 
in a different era of cage moves this would have been like eight millimeter but his characters are like too responsible now in in his in his later age like it, it's it, it could have been provocative and nasty but it doesn't really go all the way there the director did movies like river's edge and he's also worked on like Mad Men and uh, Twin Peaks. So, I mean, he clearly has some ambition, but like, this is a weird project for someone like that to take on. Like there had to be something in the screenplay that he liked and to get all the talent involved in the movie, but it's not necessarily readily apparent. Uh, Robin Tunney, I think is underutilized in the movie. She is like awesome. She gives it everything she has here. It reminded me of when I watched Pay the Ghost, which is another cager uh, that had Sarah Wayne Callies in it. And Robin Tunney and Sarah Wayne Callies were both in Prison Break. So it makes me think that maybe Cage is a fan of the show too. At least I would like to think he is. Um, <laughs> overall, he's pretty dialed down in the movie. Uh, he has his moments where he gets to kick ass. It would it's, it seems more on page like a Joel Edgerton type role, or maybe like a Luke Wilson like like getting into that kind of role. But Cage shows his ability to scale it back and still be Cage. I want to say it's like a top twenty five Cage performance, but I, I've never actually ranked them. I, I really <laughs> don't know these walls. Like, uh, it's a it's, it seems like a '70s exploitation type movie. Uh, it could have been Grindhouse if it didn't look so pretty. I I could easily see myself watching it again. I'm giving it three stars, and it puts it number twenty on the Cager between Snake Eyes and Knowing. Wow, top twenty Cager movie. That's the highest you've gone in quite a while. Oh, I I know. <laughs> I think it's like maybe my like fourth that I've actually given a thumbs up to. I. I I'd have to research that. Wow. Wow. Okay. Looking glass. Looking glass. Looking glass. Okay. Sounds good. All right. By the way, Todd, I, I, I forgot to mention earlier the uh the creepy eye lurking around your head is just menacing. Yes. 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 It it, it, it is a poster that would qualify for what we are talking about later. Except Should for the fact cool? that it's a yeah. <laughs> What? It's a sequel? Uh, yeah. yeah, a shitty sequel. Oh, okay. Oh, you're talking about the power rankings. Okay. Oh, shoot. Maybe I spoiled something. Never mind. Go on. Go I don't ahead. even know what... Yeah. Okay. Oh, I see. I see what you're... Where, where you're getting. All right. Well, Zach, it's your turn. Criterion review time. Okay, so uh, for my Criterion review today, I'm reviewing um, a movie from the 1970s directed by Peter Yates, who's probably best known for uh, Breaking Away and uh, Bullet, and the film is called The Friends of Eddie Coyle, and it stars Robert Mitchum as Eddie Coyle, who is this sort of, he's basically like Robert De Niro in The Irishman. He's kind of like this older gentleman type guy who does a whole bunch of things for the uh, Boston mob. And at the beginning of the movie, we learn that um, he has been pinched, basically. Uh, and he is avoiding uh, Jimmy's two rules. Um, uh, he is going to squeal and uh, name names, but it's just a matter of trying to negotiate with uh, the FBI who he's going to name and uh, with his associates, you know, how he's going to set it up. Um, one of the associates that he's trying to set up is a gun runner named Jackie Brown. Now, this is part of the reason I watched the movie is because according to IMDb, Quentin Tarantino is a big fan of this movie. There's a character named Jackie Brown. And uh, not surprisingly, the character of Jackie Brown is the highlight of this movie. He's played by Stephen Keats. And he is this, he's, he's not, I, I misspoke, he's not a drug dealer. He, he's actually a, a gun, a, a guns dealer. And uh, for a, 
guns dealer who's trying to lay low he drives this like bright neon green huge like dodge charger that just really stands out in the movie kind of makes you wonder like you're really trying to like blend in there dude not not so much but anyway he has some great moments in the movie um this is a you know it's a very kind of standard uh paint by numbers type uh uh police procedural there's a few bank robbery sequences that are pretty exciting um there's definitely some parallel narratives going on that i think are kind of unique we get um another appearance by the star of joe uh maybe a movie i'll talk about later on our list uh peter boyle he is a bartender named dylan who's also uh compromised in a compromised role between the fbi and the mob uh, more, more seven, every 70s movie needed Peter Boyle and John Cazale. Did they ever work together? They should, they should have worked together. Anyway, this is a solid movie, not necessarily a great movie. I give it three stars. The Criterion, now what's interesting about the Criterion Blu-ray is that uh, there were rumors that because this was a Paramount title, it was also going to go out of print along with the slew of Paramount movies that went out of print a couple months ago, like Nashville and La Dolce Vita and Harold and Maude. So when I was down in Arkansas, I almost bought this one. And I decided not to, and that was the right decision because it's uh, still currently in circulation. Even if it says uh, currently unavailable on the Criterion website, kids, that does not mean it is out of print. Learn from the master here, okay? You can now find it pretty easily online. Anyway, it's a cool movie. Worth it. Check it out. Um, and I'll see anything with a character named uh, Jackie Brown in it. The movie Ransom also has a character named Jackie Brown in it. <coughs> Worth watching. Have either of you seen that movie or heard of it? I've heard of it. I have not heard seen of it. it. Yeah. Although I, I did watch a different Peter Yates 1970s movie this week, so that's interesting. Yeah, and actually, I had a friend on Facebook who said he watched a different Peter Yates 1970s movie as well. What, what, what was the one you watched? The Hot Rock. I'm going to look up and see what, what, my, friend, what my friend watched. Um, but uh, yeah, Peter Ray, yes, it was, my friend also watched The Hot Rock. Are you friends with Brian Fawcett? Did you watch it together? It was it on TCM uh, no. or something? Uh, no, it wasn't on TCM. I got it. I was, uh, had a Netflix DVD of it, actually. But Tarantino was also a fan of that movie. Not surprising. Was there a 70s movie that Tarantino wasn't a fan of? Maybe like A Star is Born? I can't see him being a, a fan of that, the one with Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand. That's a good question. Because, yeah, because he liked all the trashy movies, mm -hmm. too. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, the big-budget schlock he probably really didn't like. He probably wasn't a fan of New York, New York. All right. We need to end this conversation. Someone, <laughs> I think please. we do. I think we do. I, I, I could have just let it keep on going in awkward silence, but... All right. So that was the Criterion Review. Now on to my Oscar anniversary review. We're going back 20 years to 2001. This movie was nominated for one Oscar, and that was Adapted Screenplay. Can you name it? Uh, you said 2001, right? 2001. <clears throat> No clue. I, I don't have it. It is Ghost World. Mm. Ghost I World. Uh, yeah, I, I hadn't seen this one before. So yeah, directed by uh, Terry Zweigoff, uh, written by Terry Zweigoff and uh, Daniel Close, who uh, did the uh, comic book it was based off of. 
Sorry, Steve Buscemi, Thora Birch, Scarlett Johansson, Brad Renfro, Bob Balaban, and some others. Uh, it's a story of two friends uh, who just graduated high school, and they're trying to decide what to do with their lives. You have the Scarlett Johansson character who's ready to uh, ready to move on, get an apartment, and uh, really just kind of start her life. The Thora Birch character is trying to figure out who she is, where she wants to go, and in the process, they meet. Steve Buscemi, just kind of a, a lovable loser type of guy, collects classic records, and they form this kind of strange bond. And uh, she decides to make it her her goal to help him uh, to help him put his life together, uh, find happiness, and and things like that. Uh, so this is a movie. Going into it, I knew you guys loved it. So, like Todd and Zach both gave it four stars. Adam gave it three and a half. It's in all of your top fives of 2001. It's in our site's top five of 2001, even though I hadn't seen it yet. Um, yeah, I kind of hated it. Uh, I'm giving it. I'm giving it two stars. I feel like it's a movie that does not age very well. Uh, I I feel like the uh, the main characters are uh, are kind of these just snotty bratty kids that have no redeeming qualities like you can have like bad people as your main characters if there's something that makes you want to root for them there is nothing redeemable about either of these characters and because of that you don't care at all about thora birch you don't care about scarlett johansson it felt like like as i'm starting it i'm like Thora Birch is playing like a less interesting version of Mina Suvari's character from American Beauty in this, uh, in this, what, what, you know, the, the character she makes fun of in American Beauty, the character she says you aren't interesting to, um, that that's what she's a worse version of that. Um, the, the story picks up when one Steve Buscemi shows up and they, and they have this, this interaction here, but as it's going along, you don't care because the, the characters don't make you care. There's nothing that there's nothing redeemable about it. So I I'm wondering how long it's been since you guys have watched this movie, because I don't think it, it feels like a great movie now. And, uh, but I, yeah, so I'm giving it two stars. I kind of hated it. It was, it was boring and I didn't care about any of the characters enough to, to really be invested in the story. The way you described it, it seems like the same reason you didn't like like Margaret. So, but I don't know. That's it. That's interesting. I mean, that that seems that seems like a slam dunk that you would like it. I mean, well, Steve Buscemi, I think it's his best performance. I, He's I mean, pretty good. I, I I I love Ghost World. I mean, granted, I haven't seen it in in years, but I mean, I can't imagine it falling off. There, I've I've watched it within the last year. I agree. There are some elements that have socially and culturally not aged particularly well. I'm thinking particularly of Enid's art piece. And uh, there's a little bit of a sexual liaison between them later in the movie. But like, other than that, I think it's a really great portrait of aimless adolescence. Like I love how it's that period right after they graduate high school, but they're not quite going to college. That is so resonant with me uh, as a high school teacher. I mean, I just, I see kids like that a lot. I love all the side characters. I love the guy that goes to the Starbucks and orders that same thing, does the same question of the day with Scarlett Johansson. I love when they go to the record party. 
I love I, what what are you missing Terry this is this is a beautiful movie that helped me get through high school because I associated with the Enid character so well and oh, it's nunchucks dude it's America man <laughs> free country I mean you didn't even like that guy come on with the nunchucks that guy's I mean, awesome in the words of Enid that that guy looked like he belonged to Napoleon Dynamite not in not in this movie uh no it it, that character felt so out of place and so just like, what the hell is going on? Um, no, I, I, like I said, I just didn't care about the characters. Like if they had actually done something to, to give them something that makes you want to care about them and root for them. I mean, you, you could look at it in the similar sense of like Ladybird. Ladybird is, is a horrible character too. Ladybird's a sanitized I, version of Ghost World. Ladybird is almost a regression in a way. It, it wasn't as edgy as Ghost, Ghost World was. It was a lot more family friendly, a lot more sanitized. This movie's like raw. You know, it, it shows these characters for their their assets, for the things that are good about them, and the things that aren't so great about them. Like I, I, I feel like there's an edge to it that most movie stages are too afraid to go there. There's nothing good about it. I mean, there's nothing oh. good about the characters. There's nothing good about the characters okay, that it well. brings up, and 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 because of that. You don't care about the characters. That that's that's all that's all I'm saying. If it wanted you to care about the characters, show something that you actually care about from the characters. Let me ask you something. Other than Terry. them just being horrible people. Have you seen the documentary Crumb? The, the nope. Terry, Terry Zweigoff's movie before. No, I have not, but I know it's like one of your favorite movies of all time. It's one of the great documentaries of all time, and I think it has a, a lot of parallels, even though it's a documentary, obviously, with uh, Ghost World in the sense of it has pro a protagonist that maybe is repellent to some people. And and I get that if if you hate the protagonist, you're probably not going to like the movie either. I'd be curious to see what you you have what you think about that movie too. But ah, uh, disappointing, man. Two stars. I saw that shit in a theater. I like snuck into that shit. That was at the Bijou Theater where they never carded me. I loved it. <laughs> I was 14 years old. I had a thing for both of them. That's maybe that's that part of doesn't part of surprise it. me. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. All right. Well, there you go. I knew that was going to be a hot take. <laughs> yeah, that's been your your most oddball negative review of that in a long time, so that's, yeah. It was bound to happen. It was. It was bound to happen. You didn't even like Brad Renfro in that movie? I mean, he was great. Him and Steve Buscemi might have been the best parts. You didn't like, like Bob Bob Balaban? Well, I mean, he's great in everything. But when you're focusing on two characters that you don't care about, it you don't care about the movie. That that's what I'm sticking to. Okay. So that's Miles my aunt. It. It, it, it was my it was in Miles' top five of oh one. Because <laughs> Miles saw himself in the Seymour character. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Okay, well, now to move on to our featured reviews. Uh, we have two of them because welcome back to the movies. Like, I feel like this was like the big weekend to bring us back. You've got two movies making over $20 million opening weekend this week. Um, and one of them even had a streaming option and it still made $20 million, which is just awesome. So we are reviewing the two big releases and of the week and we're going to start with, uh, we're going to go in the order that Todd and I saw them. So we're going to start with Cruella, starring Emma Stone. And let's see here. I believe we are starting with Zach on this one. So Zach, is okay. that what he said, Todd? Hold on. No, that is no, not what we said. That's not what we said. Okay. Well, then we're going to change it. Zach, we're going to start with you on the next one. We're okay. going to start with Todd on Cruella. 
because we had determined this before and I completely forgot what we had decided. Nice. Smooth. Because <laughs> we talked about this, like you said, for like 30 seconds and then it was are, over. Are we talking about this? Okay. That may, have, may not have been quoted multiple times. Multiple <laughs> times. Okay. Todd, tell us about Cruella. Okay, Cruella is directed by Craig Gillespie. It is the origin story of the 101 Dalmatian supervillain Cruella Deville, named uh, Estella, apparently, and uh, played by Oscar winner Emma Stone, whose uh, whose character uh, her mother was killed by some Dalmatians when she was a child, and she dreams of being this fashion designer, and she idolizes the Baroness, who is uh, basically Miranda Priestly from The Devil Wears Prada, terrifying and coldly played by uh, Oscar winner. Uh, Emma Thompson. Um, and Estella sort of works her way up and develops her alter ego of Cruella, which she uses to hit the headlines and become a celebrity, basically, by making everyone think that she was a celebrity, which is clearly something that we see a lot today. Uh, her fellow childhood orphan friends are Jasper and Horace, who uh, remain her friends and help her pull off some, like, Ocean's Eleven-style, like, petty crimes. And they're played by Joel Fry and Paul Walter Hauser, who has just a, just a ridiculous Irish accent. And Mark Strong is also in there as the right-hand man of the Baroness. Uh, the movie is a big, hot mess. Like, it's this, like, big, sexy, extravagant, fascinating mess of a movie. <laughs> and I don't really know who it's made for. Like, it's too goofy to be strictly for adults. And nobody really cares about Corellateville necessarily. And 101 Dalmatians is, like, a super forgotten Disney animated property. Although, somehow, Corellateville is number 39 on the AFI's villain list I looked up. Uh, which seems strange to me. Um, it's totally really weird, which implies that it is made somewhat for children. There are actually some really young kids in the theater, which seems wrong. And I don't know what they could have possibly thought about it unless they were like me, whose favorite movie was Burton's Batman at like age five. So, I mean, maybe those kids were like me or something. But uh, the movie didn't really need to be about Cruella. That's one thing that really stood out to me. Like, it, 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 it could have been a completely original story and given the freedom to do whatever it wanted with the movie and not be stuck to uh, source material guidelines. And, it, I mean, it could have been, like, more wild, a little less cartoonish. I feel like it could have possibly even, like, tilted into, like, light R rating. Like, there's room for some, like, really, really twisted violence and some more disturbing stuff that they don't really fully go into that they could have. Uh, and it's it's a weird sidestep for Craig Gillespie because he is, is Australian director. He was he did Lars and the Real Girl, he did I Tonya, and he did like Colin Farrell's Fright Night movie. And it's it, it's not anything like any of those, and it, it's it's sort of a strange step out. Like I mean, it, it's obsessed with reminding you of other projects. Like it's the setup of the Devil Wars Prada. Corella is basically like Harley Quinn or some like Joker type character, and the petty crimes are like reminded me of like Charlie's angels and the beginning scenes were like Enola Holmes. Uh, the comparisons go on and on and it, and I, I don't know if that was by design or what, uh, but Emma Stone is fantastic and she would be a golden globe nominee if that's still a thing. I don't know if it is, but it's like her, this is her big movie star role that, that, uh, uh, that uh, maybe the first one that I, I feel like in her whole career. And Emma Thompson is just, I mean, she's deliciously evil and she has like a monopoly in those kind of roles. I don't really have a problem with that. The issue is the screenplay, which I said was a mess. And it had three different writers who all brought really different things and probably ex uh, expanded it to its robust 134 minute runtime, which there's the writer of The Devil Wars Prada. You have the writer of The Favorite and you have the writer of Couples Retreat. And if you put those together, you kind of end up with what <laughs> this movie is. Uh, the last half hour it's pretty much unnecessary and the twist reveal is super lame and the whole payoff was completely ridiculous it's almost like a soap opera and then fantasy elements kicked in and 
Oh, another thing was what was up with the soundtrack? Like it, it just like blasts like the doors, like the entire movie and the clash and queen, like every popular song from like punk rock 1970s, which is when the movie was set. I, and it's so loud and prevalent. It takes away from the scenes. You don't really know what's going on. It's kind of disorienting. Tone it down a bit. I, I mean, the movie's all over the place. It's still fun to watch. And uh, it doesn't feel as long as it probably should have. I'm, I'm like right on the verge of a recommendation, but I, I'm settling on two and a half stars. It's it's close. It is really close. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to go next. Uh, I'm going three stars. I had a whole lot of fun with this movie. Um, and I agree with a lot of what Todd said, uh, especially about the ending. Like there was a, there was a moment in this movie where you get to the, you get to a spot where, where like, it feels like it's about to end. And I was like, wow, that, that was a, that was a fun movie. I can't, that was really good. And then it goes on for another 40 minutes. I was like, well, that just could have been the plot line for the sequel, but it wasn't. But, um. It, it it's it's a lot of fun i i todd you said it's it's the soundtrack is all punk rock well that's because it's billing cruella as like the formation of punk rock basically she's the punk rock right. of fashion and uh no emma stone is great emma thompson's great i i had it, it was just so entertaining to watch this movie and even though it was two hours and 14 minutes it did feel long as you got through that last little bit but it was still good good stuff i mean it was unnecessary but it was still solid i never had to look at my watch once because i was just too entertained by it so three stars from me um but i do agree it was a bit of a mess but i didn't care because it, it was a fun mess zach oh i got two and a half we got three what do you got i love listening to you guys you know it's like oh this movie's such a mess it's it doesn't know what it wants to be it's a mixture of all these movies it's derivative it's long it's boring it's bad Oh, but we're going to give it a recommendation anyway. Why don't you just come out with it and talk about how terrible this movie is. This movie sucked, man. This is like, this is a bottom three movie of the year for me. It was a disaster. Uh, But oddly enough, I agree with a lot of what you guys have to say. I just, you know, admit the movie's bad. Um, Maybe I just didn't see any of the, 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 bright points that, that you did but i i agree with a lot of what todd said um in fact i even wrote down some things that i i, I totally agree with what i mean the soundtrack is terrible like the soundtrack is the most bland like let, let's just choose let's just do a spotify list of every like supposedly you know trendy song from the 70s from the british new wave but add in some random song it, it was it was awful um what was with all the motion tracking of newspaper headlines too like that just didn't make any sense in this movie. Todd's exactly right. This is Joker meets Harley meets Devil Wears Prada. Uh, and then, you know, fan of the original 101 Dalmatians. I mean, that's what kind of gets lost in all this. If, if you were to watch this movie, you, you forget that it's actually, you know, a based on a, another movie that this movie has no relationship with tonally, story-wise, setting-wise. Uh, yeah, it takes place uh, after the events of 101 Dalmatians, so it makes no sense uh, chronologically. Uh, but the charm of 101 Dalmatians is missing. The charm of that movie was the dogs. And this movie has almost no dogs in it. In fact, it has no live dogs. It has all CGI dogs that are just lame and boring to look at. I do like that this movie villainizes Dalmatians, though. They are an overrated dog breed, and they are somewhat vicious. So <laughs> that I kind of like. But 
on the other hand, it uh, it very much sentimentalizes like these little Yorkies and Chihuahuas, and those dogs are annoying. We we don't really need a whole lot of those. The movie does not want to say that that Cruella Deville skins dogs. Like it just is adamant in trying to make her somewhat uh, redeeming, somewhat of uh, some kind of weird real rehabilitation redemption arc for this character who, in 2021 standards, is absolutely has to be a Disney villain. I and skinning dogs is absolutely abhorrent in 2021. So I don't know whose idea it really was to make this even a palatable movie. Uh, maybe it's just, again, like some sort of uh, rehabilitation for, for being able to show the original movie on Disney+. Plus. I'm really not sure. I also have a couple hot takes here. Is Emma Stone really a good actress? I, I can't think of the last movie other than The Favorite that I was really impressed by her in. I think she's kind of terrible in this movie. I mean, her accent goes in and out. She doesn't possess at all any of the kind of, you know, there's a shot of Betty Davis in this movie. Like, it reminds you, Cruella DeVille had, like, you know, pizzazz. I mean, when she, when she enters the room, you know, she's there. Whereas this Cruella DeVille is, like, sort of just passive, and then she's... Like, it, 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 does, it doesn't work. I, I miss Glenn Close, and I didn't even like those movies from the 90s. And then the other hot take I have is, I think there is a version of this movie that could have... I agree, this is kind of the direction I thought Todd was going with it. I think it needed a different director. It needed a director who was not afraid to go against Disney, to, to stand up to Disney and say, screw you, Disney. I'm going to make the movie that I want to make. I don't care if it's a Disney product or not. We reviewed Popeye last year. Robert Altman should have made this movie. I would have loved to have seen someone icon as iconoclastic and as eccentric as Robert Altman take this material and make it much more interesting. I think he could have done it. Unfortunately, he's been dead 15 years. Craig Gillespie wasn't quite up for the challenge. And it didn't even, it missed even the best part of 101 Dalmatians, which is that British TV show, What's My Crime? I was waiting for that the whole movie. Where was that? Do you guys remember What's My Crime? Next nope. time on What's My Crime. I see, I, I love the original 101 Dalmatians. That's a great, it's a great underrated Disney uh, cartoon, but. I don't, movie... I don't really agree with that. I think I give it a thumbs down actually, but Ugh. I'm not really a fan. Like, I, and I don't know anyone that actually ever talks about 101 Dalmatians, which is why it's strange that they decided to do this because it's not a character that anyone really wanted to see get their own movie and it didn't need to be like the, yeah. the whole story could have been its own story it doesn't need to be based on something else i mean i guess it's how yeah. you sell tickets but and by putting emma stone in there which i i don't know what you're talking about emma stone's awesome in this and she is awesome in basically everything yeah i i agree i mean uh, yeah i don't Aloha. know what you're talking about with that was like almost 10 years ago so you didn't like la la land obviously la la land yeah yeah. Uh, okay. So Oscar winner Emma Stone, you don't like? I whatever. name a name a great performance. I I don't I don't see one. Except she's good in the favorite. She's the the third best of the three leads. But like I I don't I I'm ready to say I think she's a little overrated. You know that that is you my just, problem. You just here. choose not to like the movies she's in, so you say she's bad in them, like Birdman. Yep, that's another one. Good one. Yeah, because you don't like the movie. I bet you don't even remember her character. Oh, I remember and, her character. I mean, I've seen a lot of her movies. I've just, I've never been overwhelmed by her. And I mean, I'm sure she, she's, a, she's good, but like, I, 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 she's just miscast in this movie. Like, there's, you know, Emma Thompson could have been a better Cruella Deville. By the way, I mean, Emma Thompson is in a lot of this movie. Like, and I like Emma Thompson. I'm down with her. But like, man, at times this felt like this movie should have been called Baroness instead of Cruella. I, I was not expecting that. 
I find I find it interesting that uh, you're just throwing out there that she's a bad actress simply because she's playing a Brit. Like her, her accent, I thought was it was a little over the top, but it goes in and out. Really, I, I think you're just saying that because you know that's not her nat- natural accent. And it goes, oh, and if it does go in and out, it's because she's playing two different accents in the movie. <laughs> oh, I think I think both Cruella and and uh, Cruella and Estrella are supposed to be British, but like. I don't know the character's name. I just I, I don't know. It, it, you, she doesn't she doesn't emanate evil, right? But it's also I, I, a, a fault of the movie too. The movie can't really decide whether she's truly evil or someone who is like sympathetic in some way because the movie doesn't really have any balls. So it kind of wants to throw out. Oh, it's she's an origin story. Oh, but she she didn't really slaughter any Dalmatians. We're gonna wink at the camera. Yet, she's hit. yet this movie has no balls. Get Robert Altman behind the camera. In like five years is when the original 101 Dalmatians is supposed to take place. You know, I saw uh, at that movie, I saw a preview for the new David Lowry movie. That would have been a cool director for this project. David Lowry, get someone with a visual style and who's not afraid to say, screw you. That that I, I agree that that's a better recommendation than your other one, simply because he actually is alive. <laughs> <laughs> that's <Yeah>. true. <laughs> Gosh. He could have made the movie in 2000. Maybe. I, I, I feel like this is one of those where you walked into it saying, I'm going to hate this movie. Oh, and, you know what? and every single one of your takes is related to that. I actually liked the first 20 minutes of it. I thought it had like life. I, I liked the actress who played young Cruella. I liked the, it was, it moved really fast. By the way, the actress who played young Cruella looked like, uh, looked like a young Thomas and McKenzie. I think what what you're missing, Terry, because I like I know how you always diagnose my reviews like you're my psychiatrist. What you're missing here is the running time. This movie was way too long, and Zach doesn't Ding. do. Does, I don't I don't do didn't movies I, this long. God, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? As soon oh, as oh, I know. Zach yeah, was going to say, I hate it because it's over two hours. I tried long. really hard to not say that because I, <laughs> I was just surprised you didn't you know fall asleep for five times like you say you normally do. Oh, it was I was close. Yeah close all right so so here, here's the next question did you go alone did you take the wife and what did she think uh she liked it more than i did of course she did of course yeah. she did all right i think <laughs> we didn't talk about it much <laughs> i was it wondering if you actually memorable. i was wondering if you actually went to the theater or if you just ponied up the 30 bucks oh on god Disney no Plus. I, would, I would never spend 30 dollars ne- never instead um, spent, instead, instead you spent 25 dollars to take yeah. the two of you to the, the theater I yeah, did, but there's a there's a story behind that that I won't get into on this podcast. But yes, I did. I spent twenty twenty four dollars on twenty three dollars and eleven cents, something like that. And then and then bought the ten dollar popcorn. Uh, no, we did not buy any pop. We're not quite ready. We still wear our masks in theaters. You know, we're, okay. we're, we okay. try to be polite people. All right. Well, let's move off of this. So, what was your star rating on that, Zach? One, one and a half. <laughs> one and a half. Good. Grief. I liked the open. I, I did like the opening twenty minutes. I will say that it had it had energy. It was Enola Holmes. Like that was yeah, the start of- that's a good comparison. Yeah, I agree. It, uh, okay, I agree with. Here's the thing: you guys are like shitting on me. I agree with a lot of what you both said. I uh, the, the just difference is I just didn't like it. Like we just weren't entertained by yeah. by everything that happened, and we were exactly like Todd said. It's a, it's it's a entertaining mess. I agree. Sometimes in the mo- I'm in the mood for movies like that, but I just I I wasn't. I, after after two after the two hour mark, I was like, okay, cash me out, Johnny. I I I'm I'm, I'm ready to get out of here. Thank you. Check, please. All right. Well, uh, let's move on then. So Zach gave one and a half. Todd gave two and a half. I gave three. 
it's in theaters now. It's also on Disney Plus if you want to pay the $30 fee to watch it now. I'm sure it'll be on Disney Plus for everyone in a couple months. Uh, so that's Cruella. Uh, now let's go to a movie that I have a feeling Zach is going to like simply because it's an hour and a half instead of two hours and 15 minutes. Mm, and that mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. the other big uh, release from this week. And that is A Quiet Place Part 2. Uh, I think, if I remember right, we all liked the, the first one. So that was a that was a high thrice approved movie. So let's see what uh, what we thought of the new one that made like forty million dollars at the box office this week. So it that this was the true return to cinemas this week. Oh, so Zach Godzilla versus Kong was that made like sixty something, right? Not in the first weekend, did it? I think it did. Well, oh. I don't know. We can look. Okay, it I, I think Terry's right. I heard on the news this was the big the the most money earned by a movie during the pandemic since the pandemic. Okay, Zach, go for it. Okay, so Quiet Place Part 2, directed by John Krasinski. You kind of wonder, hmm, could he be in this movie? And he is in this movie. I'm going to try. I think we should talk about the spoilers to this movie. I'll kind of give the summary of this movie. And then I think at a certain point, we should mention that we want to go into spoilers. But uh, okay, so Quiet Place uh, Part 2, spoiler free, takes takes off where the events of the first uh, movie end. We have uh, Emily uh, Blunt as the mother of this family who is living in this world full of creatures that uh, are terrifying and uh, they can move really fast. They have one fatal flaw, which is that they are blind, but they have uh, accelerated, exaggerated senses of hearing. So even the slightest bit of noise uh, makes these creatures basically go crazy. I mean, you look at these creatures and actually this in this movie, you got a better view of the creatures than you did in the first movie. And they're, they have a really interesting design to them. They almost don't have faces. They're almost like flowers or something with like vestibules that are like open. Uh, Really interesting, really frightening character design. Um, Anyway, uh, Emily Blunt has, I think, is it three children in this movie? Um, One of her children is uh, deaf. Uh, She's played by Millicent Simmons. And I think Krasinski made a really smart decision in this movie to make a big part of this movie focusing on that character. I think in many ways that daughter character is more interesting than the Emily Blunt character or maybe any other characters in the movie. as they kind of go along in the movie, they uh, are forced to seek out shelter. They find a uh, character named Emmett, played by Cillian Murphy. He is also kind of outcast and living by himself and trying to fend off these creatures. Um, uh, the movie in the middle kind of splits off into two parallel narratives, one that features Millicent Simmons and Cillian Murphy kind of paired up together, kind of seeking help the other with the rest of the family unit. Um, shacked up kind of at the fortress uh, that uh, Cillian Murphy has uh, developed. Um, I don't know. I mean, look, I I guess the pro- this movie is entertaining enough. I mean, you're right. It's an hour and a half. I definitely like that. I like that it focuses on the Millicent Simmons character. Uh, I think there are some genuinely um, frightening moments in the movie. I like that the movie has some interesting uh, sound design. I like the opening segment of the movie, too. Um, I guess my sort of existential problem with this movie is I just don't know why it exists. I mean, I, I feel kind of like uh, not too far removed a- exactly from Cruella. I mean, I get the sense that, you know, I get the, the, the understanding that this movie made a lot of money three years ago. It was a well-made movie. John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, they have very strong cachet with their names and their branding and they make good products. I just don't understand the point of this movie. I watched it and I thought, I remember the first movie being a little bit more intelligent, uh, leaving a little bit more to the viewer's sort of imagination by not showing the creatures in such stark detail, even though, like I said, I was impressed by the way they looked. 
Um, I thought that one of the parallel narratives, one of the parallel storylines worked a lot better than the other. I also didn't really understand the purpose of the Cillian Murphy character. I really thought that um, the movie should have just been Millicent Simmons. In fact, I think the whole movie should have just been her, maybe her and her brother. I don't, I, that, that character, the, the, the Cillian Murphy character to me was, was unnecessary. It's very clear that this movie, that, that A Quiet Place is now a franchise, which is really unfortunate. I felt like the original movie had a lot going for it. It was unique. It was original. It was startling. It didn't rely too much on jump scares. And it, oh, in the end, as John Krasinski has said a lot, was more about family than it was about terrifying audiences. So I'm mixed on this one. I give it maybe a high two and a half stars. Maybe one of you guys can talk me out of it. I just don't, I don't feel this movie was necessary in, in, in its existence, um, as, as good as some elements of it were. All right. Well, I think I will go next after that review. Uh, I love this movie. I'm giving it three and a half stars. Um, is it better than the first one? No, but is it's, it feels like it's so hard for a sequel to recapture what made the original great. And I felt like this did that in a very real way. Uh, you, you felt for the characters, you felt the tension, you felt the, the, uh, the stress and the just overall anxiety that the first one brought about. Uh, and it being such a direct sequel. Um, I, 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 I get what you're saying, Zach, and, and why, why did it, have to exist but i do think it kind of it furthers the, the plot a little bit uh it it expands the universe of this of this you know this world that they're in and uh i i just kept thinking why this this would be an amazing tv show like if they were to turn this into into some sort of mini series about these characters in this world it would be really really cool um uh, but i i i felt it 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 was such a perfect sequel because it captured so much of what the first one did so well that um, I, I I just loved it. I loved it. I think that the that double feature of watching those two back to back is going to be like one of the best watches that that you can have of a double feature that I can remember in a long time. So that that's that's I I, I think a lot of what you said is right. Um, but I just think the fact that it is such a perfect sequel, such a perfect, perfect continuation of the story. And um, I, I, I don't see what you what you're saying about why the Killian Murphy character was around. I thought it was a it was kind of a great addition to it. There are some little tropes that happen. That's like, OK, obviously, you know, obviously there's a significance to the towel that is going to come up. Right. And obvious there there are little things that are it, it it's not so subtle about. Uh, but I, I feel like that's okay. Dive. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I feel like that's okay. It, it it works. It works in the context of that, and it it is so suspenseful, and and works so great as a as a sequel that I I I'm I loved it. Three and a half stars for me, Todd. Well, of course, I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, it, I I feel like this is a very basic horror movie sequel. Like, I, I agree with Zach. I, uh, the first thing I thought of was, I, I don't know why this movie exists other than to cash a check, because it is the exact same thing in terms of thrills and in terms of situations as the first one. And it, and it doesn't, that doesn't mean it doesn't still work. 
but it just doesn't really do anything to differentiate itself other than it leaves the one area. Uh, the flashback at the beginning, I think, was cool, but that was as derivative of a horror movie concept as in either one of the movies. That's <clears throat> That seemed like a movie, uh, scene out of something completely different. And the final scenes were way too convenient, but that's the way it goes with these kind of things. But it it heightened the emotional elements of the movie, which is probably more about performance than anything. But uh, but at the same time, in like doing those things at the same time, just made it way too convenient. And that's that also seemed like something out of a different movie, and that's probably because Krasinski was the only writer, and he didn't have his his buddies to help him out. Uh, the, but yeah, the gem and star of the movie is Millicent Simmons. She should be a star. She commands every scene that she's in and blows Cillian and Murphy off the screen every every time she can get. And the reason why the character exists is obviously because that's the new father figure to her. And they needed to introduce something like that into the movie. Otherwise, she would just be this little girl going across this terrible like land of monsters. And that would never have worked or been believable in any way. Um, the movie gets repetitive and is way too interested in crafting the perfect scare than it actually is of making us care necessarily. We know exactly what kind of peril they're about to get into because we've seen these kind of things before, but it's it's still like brilliantly staged because Krasinski is a really good director. He has learned a lot from his mentor, Michael Bay, and this is like a big rousing action movie, Michael Bay movie, but it's, it's his Krasinski's baby, so it's nowhere near as shallow as that, but it does have a lot of things that remind me of Michael Bay movies. I I would watch another one of these because of the actors and the monsters are unpredictable and they're kind of indestructible and it which is kind of awesome to watch. Um, but I mean, as long as Krasinski is doing stuff like this and not like the Hollers or whatever other like movies like he would normally be acting in, like those are the movies he's not great at directing. This is actually where he's in his wheelhouse. I I want it to be a bit more of a step out next time because I know he's going to make another one of these. But um, this is. Uh, I don't know. It was still a lot of fun. And it, probably the most fun I've had at the theater is watching just because of the experience of it that, since Tenet. And so I'm giving it a very, like a low three stars. Like it, it's a, it's a thumbs up, but not, uh, not too high. Did we convince you, Zach? No, no. I mean, I had a lot of <laughs> the, the same reaction to you, but see when, when, what you guys saw, especially you, Terry, and you appreciated and really liked, I saw and thought, yeah, this was like the original. I just don't. Well, why? Why do we have to have an extension? Why, why is this just d derivative? I mean, it's copying some of the same beats as the original. Todd's right. It get it does get really repetitive, like midway through the movie, and at a certain point, it almost develops like Avenger syndrome. It's like you're pretty sure at a certain point, nothing too bad's going to happen to these characters. So. Uh, it's kind of like, okay, well, it, it, it becomes less about life or death and more about how they're going to outwit these creatures. And you're right, Todd. I mean, it is really trying hard to set up that that ending, which is just another thing. And maybe this goes into spoilers a little bit. But one of my problems with this movie also is that I felt like at the end of A Quiet Place, one of the reasons why I liked that movie so much and felt the un a sequel was necessary was because you essentially... At the end of The Quiet Place, they discovered how to defeat these creatures. I mean, I, I felt like the revelation that's at the end of this movie was also at the end of the first movie. And I'm not really sure why or how this information is necessarily new. I also felt like there were some other kind of flaws about where they end up going and why the creatures aren't in that location as well that I thought was just way too convenient. And, but they don't uh, swim. 
Yeah, I, I mean, okay, let's get M. Night Shyamalan and signs on, on the, the, you know, the script. Like, that's ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> these creatures have no flaws or vulnerabilities other than their eyesight. You're going to add that, that they can't swim? These creatures can scale buildings. They can cause huge explosions in the sky. Like, come on, get more original. They're like giant bugs. Bugs can't swim either. Well, I mean, but even the way that the, the creature gets to the island in this movie, you would think that that also probably would have happened in other circumstances too. I don't know. I just thought that I like the idea of some sort of refuge. I mean, we've seen that in other movies before too, but I just thought that the explanation was a little bit too convenient. The exposition, I should say, also was just sort of overly convenient. Well, one thing I don't agree with what you said was that you said you you knew that nothing was bad was going to happen to them. You forget in the first one, they off a child like right off the bat. Like, I mean, yeah. like the, you, you don't think that there was a possibility that like the son get the gippy son was going to get killed i mean i thought he was definitely going down he wasn't but he wasn't an essential character in the movie i mean there's only three essential characters and none of them were gonna i mean you know i i don't know again we're getting into spoilers here but the most interesting character we all agree is melissa simmons and yes she's not she's not they're not gonna kill her off i mean let's get real so it becomes sort of a level of like okay how does she get out of this situation that we know she's gonna get out of and that just, I don't know, it's kind of deflated some of the suspense. The one thing the one thing with her character that I didn't necessarily like, that was kind of, I mean, like in A Quiet Place too, you, you, you also had that, like the moment where everyone went, wait, why don't they just live at the waterfall? But, um, but then, yeah. but the, the thing with, with uh, the Millicent Simmons character that I thought in this one is, how does she know when she's making noise? When she's by herself, like there are those moments where she doesn't know when noise is being made, but she reacts as if, oh, no, I just made noise. It's when she can't hear it. Yeah. That, that was like the one thing I was. But there and there are a couple of those things that pop up that just advance the story. But honestly, I didn't care because it was just too much fun. I was along for the ride and I, I enjoyed the ride. Yeah, I mean, it's enjoyable for what it's worth. It's just, for me, it was always a reminder that the original was better. It's kind of like how last week when we talked about High Fidelity, I like the series High Fidelity. It's popcorn, it's bubblegum, but it just reminds me that the original is better. So, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I understand going to the theaters and seeing it, and I applaud the filmmakers, and I think they tried their hardest, but it's just, you know, it, it, there's nothing new. I mean, it doesn't really expand. Like Todd was saying, it doesn't really expand the universe in a really creative or, or innovative way. It made me wish I could have seen Sound of Metal on the big screen with some of the sound design in this movie and how it used a lot of the same, a lot of the same things that Sound of Metal used. It would have been cool to hear hear that on the big screen too. All right, so we've got two and a half from Zach. We got three from Todd. We got three and a half from me. This is in theaters right now. If wherever there's theaters open, you will find a quiet place part two. And it's worth, it's worth the watch. I think even, even Zach, you're giving it two and a half, but it's worth the watch. Yeah. I mean, a good comparison would be like 10 Cloverfield lane, you know, like I, I wish it had been more innovative, like 10 Cloverfield lane. I wish John Goodman had been in it instead of Killian Murphy, but we, we accept what we get. Yeah. I had one of those. I had the same comparison. He did. He did. He's he said ten Cloverfield Lane several times, which I think right. is better than Cloverfield. And by the way, Kong versus Godzilla made forty eight point five million dollars. 
on its five day b- debut because it opened on a Wednesday. So that was what I had seen. Oh, so not 30, not 32 a, not million just... three day, but yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. I guess we'll give that to you then. All right. Well, let's move on. Those were some good discussions and, uh, and we are quite far into our runtime already. So uh, we're going to get into power rankings here and, uh, and go from there. Todd, you got to pick our category and uh, I, I'm just going to preface this by saying, I thought this was a brilliant category. I really, I really liked this. I really liked it. I think Zach may have a different, uh, a different opinion, but I really like this one. So yeah, naturally, naturally go for it. What are we doing? Well, since Corella was coming out, I decided to do which was something that would probably be more like a Mount Rushmore that we do than a power rankings. But this is going to be more straightforward, at least I think, uh, is uh, we are doing movies that have a one word title that is a name. So because Corella obviously applies and the movie behind me, Hannibal, obviously applies. It could be a first name or a last name. Uh, there are a lot of there are, there are a lot of these in movies and it, this should be uh, this should be a fun conversation. I mean, this was a very difficult category. There were a lot of, <laughs> as you'll see in my list, there were a lot of controversial choices because I didn't quite understand the rules. There's no, there's one rule, and it's very straightforward. Yeah, <laughs> but what is a name? <laughs> a what name. Is, a what is a name? name? Yeah. What What is a name? A person's name. <laughs> it doesn't get any more straightforward than that. Oh, a nickname. Or like, you said it had, you said it had to be first name or last name. Of no nicknames. A first name or a last name. I I excluded nicknames, but I can understand how if they go by that throughout the movie that you would uh, have that. As okay. Okay. I'm just gonna exclude Tootsie, right? Because that was one I was thinking about. Like, you know, Dor- Dorothy is called Tootsie, but it's not really her name, so that would not right. count. Okay. I would say that would not count. Yes. Okay. That's fair. All right. Well, let's get into this. Uh, I'm gonna go first. And, um, I, my number five slot, I've been, I've been moving around and changing between several different things, trying to, trying to obey the rules as best as I can. One um, rule. There's it, one rule. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm trying to be a strict follower of the rules this time. So, uh, my number five, I think, uh, yeah, I'm going to settle on this one. I'm going to go. Number five is Juno. Uh, it, it's, it's such a great movie, um, where you have this, this teen who is, uh, who finds herself pregnant and the, just a journey throughout that, uh, that those nine months and the completely inventive writing by Diablo Cody that guides the whole, the whole thing, uh, the quirky side characters that come up along the way. Uh, it, it is such a, such a charming movie, such an original movie. Uh, I will say I haven't been a huge fan of in much of Diablo Cody's work since because it all tries to play off of some of the quirks that work so well in Juno. Like Jennifer's body, I thought was horrible because it tried to be like Juno in a horror movie, which just doesn't work. Um, but uh, but Juno's amazing, and it's the one I'm finally settling on as my number five. And so there we go, number five Juno that qualifies. Boom. You're really going to sit here and tell us that Juno is likable, but Enid is not. I mean, Juno makes fun of everybody in that movie. Like she makes fun of her dad and she makes fun of uh, Jennifer Gardner and she makes fun of all the, you know, the suburbanites. Like, come on. There there is not that dramatic of a difference between those characters. Redeemable qualities. (laughs) Juno has them. Enid doesn't. 
<laughs> that's, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. All right. Zach, what's your number five? Okay, for my number five, I'm going to just start by pissing off Todd right away. I'm going with uh, a short film, uh, and it is called Anna, and the director is Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu, and it is from a collection of films so called not a movie. Yes, it is, man. Really? You're going to shit on my parade? This is such a great movie, though. Have you ever seen it's Anna? It's not a movie. It's a short film. That's not a movie. Ah, uh, you're not going to make me go with it? You're, you're I would gonna... not make you go with it. I would not let you go with it. Uh, but okay, fine. I'll go with just replace else. it with I'll, 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 I'll replace then... it with. All right, all right, all right, <laughs> let's go with. I'm uh, not uh, definitely not Margaret. Um, I'm gonna go with. Okay, well, I, you see, I like reserving my number five for something that will piss both of you off. I'm gonna go with Matilda because I was looking at Matilda on our website, and neither of you like it. What is your problem? I mean, Matilda is a sweet, charming, wonderful movie directed by Danny DeVito, starring everybody's favorite girl actress from the 90s, Mara Wilson, as Matilda, based on the Roald Dahl book. Look, I loved this movie when I was a kid. You've got two great uh, kid movie antagonists in Danny DeVito as Mr. Wormwood, who sells these used cars, and they're all just clinkers, and he's totally corrupt, and he, you know, uh, messes with the odometer. And then you've got Trunchbull, the evil principal, played by Pam Ferris in the movie. You have the personification of all good in both Matilda and her teacher, Miss Honey, played by M. Beth Davids. I cannot believe I remember this much about this movie after all this alcohol, but it is a <laughs> wonderful movie. I, you guys gave it like one and a half stars. What is your problem, man? I, I love this movie. Like it is a sweet, tender, loving movie with some real charm and some, some grace to it. And uh, you guys are totally missing the boat on uh, one of the best 90s kids movies uh, in, in very many great 90s kids movie, but this one was one of the best. I can't even find that movie you were talking about. Anna? Yeah, it's not on IMDb. At least well, not for in your RT's page. Yeah, it's it's part of a collection of short films called uh, To Each His Own Cinema. I, I maintain that it's Inaritu's best film, even though it's uh, about one minute long and only one continuous shot. But okay, I'll, I'll, I'll abide by your rules, Todd. But it's a great short film. Matilda is also a great feature-length film. Matilda was just... A rancid choice i honestly okay. don't remember anything about that movie i probably need to watch it again it's i probably will at some point um, so it's to your children in it right atticus, atticus will give it a thumbs up all right it, it is a charming wonderful movie that is actually i think aged pretty well all right i don't even know what that means anymore okay <laughs> my number five is jerry great That's choice from 2002 because we don't ever get to mention this movie so here we go <laughs> it's a confounding movie. Jerry and Jerry are played by Matt Damon and Casey Affleck. And they co-wrote the movie with Gus Van Sant. And they're like best friends who go on a hike in a desert and they don't bring anything, including water, with them and they get lost. And so the whole movie is them like getting stuck, like walking around, getting sick of each other, getting stuck on a big rock and, uh, you know, other highlights like that. And it's one of the best examples of a movie that doesn't need a plot to be just like intoxicating to watch. I love this movie. And just like them watching them act sort of as themselves and like, it, I mean, the, the experience that they're having is almost unbearable, but for some reason you're really into it. And I, it's one of those movies I can totally understand if you give it four stars or zero stars. And I lean with four stars because I, and I think it's one of the best things that Vincent ever did. And it qualifies for this list. And that is the important thing. It does qualify for the it's, list. It's thrice approved. We all love it here. And then Terry does not love it. I thought I Terry forget. gave it thumbs up. What did, did I give it? it? I uh, you forced you me to it, watch right? it for this podcast. I honestly don't remember what I gave it. 
I looked it was it was two and a half stars. Two and a half. Okay. I mean, it it was more enjoyable than I imagined it was going to be. But yeah, I don't know. When the climax of the movie is, how are you going to get off this big rock and go on to this yeah. other big and rock? A, and there's a 15 minute uncut shot of of them doing it. I mean, that was that was obviously the best part of the movie, right there. Their plan was pretty awesome. Let's build up a pile of dirt high enough that it could be like soft and then jump. And I remember they have like a 10 minute dialogue about like a video game. I want to say it was like Final Fantasy maybe or some sort of Donkey Kong maybe. I mean, it, it it's an amazing movie. It's a it's an inspired choice, Todd. Thank you. It's a better movie than Matilda. All right. Number four on my list is a movie I actually just watched recently um, as a part of uh, the uh, TCM 31 Days of Oscar celebration. Uh, this movie is from 1968, and it is Bullet, uh, starring Steve McQueen. I I loved this movie. This movie was so much fun. Um, I mean, I think it was actually the first Steve McQueen movie I've ever seen, which I was impressive when i realized that uh he is just the personification of cool in so many ways um and in saying very little he's able to like command a room in a way that i mean maybe you could compare it to like a brad pitt in that way that how he just commands a room with the presence of being there but um he's he's just awesome and uh the the plot is is cool the cars are cool. The car chases are cool. I mean, it. how did this not get franchised? I mean, Bullet could have become like the American James Bond in a lot of ways in the 60s. And uh, and yeah, it's just an awesome, awesome story. Awesome movie. I had to put it on the list. So Bullet, there you go. More Peter Yates. More Peter Yates. Peter Yates. <laughs> MVP of the podcast, Peter Yates. Yep. All right, Zach, number four. Okay, number four is a movie that I've also recently watched, too. Uh, it is uh, from 1970, and it actually has a milestone in movie history. It is uh, the first uh, film that was um, filmed, uh, directed, written, and starring uh, a woman. And the movie is called Wanda. And that woman, uh, who the creative force behind it, was Barbara Loden. And it's from 1970, and it stars Loden as Wanda, who is this uh, woman who, at the beginning of the movie, goes to uh, basically divorce court and willingly gives up her children uh, to her ex-husband. And she has these kind of one-night stands. She is kind of loose and very adrift until one day she meets this man named Mr. Dennis, who's played by Michael Higgins. And uh, they kind of do this sort of Bonnie and Claude, Clyde type thing where they uh, they hold up a bank and they try to rob people. Um, they don't really have any kind of love affair. There's no real chemistry between them. In fact, Mr. Dennis is really rude to Wanda throughout the movie. He kind of slaps her and basically berates her. Like he tells her to order them a hamburger and she gets the order wrong and he basically like throws it in her face. He's really a, a, a jerk, a masochistic jerk over the course of the movie. Um, it's a really fascinating movie. I went into the movie, uh, it's part of the Criterion Collection. Really, Criterion did a great job of the movie. I went into the movie kind of thinking that it was this sort of indie, almost uh, feminist uh, Bonnie and Clyde. 
the movie is not that at all. It is a feminist movie in a way, but in a kind of roundabout way. The character of Wanda is very submissive in this movie. In fact, when the movie came out, people like Rex Reed and Pauline Kael criticized uh, Wanda as being someone who was kind of vapid and she didn't really stand up for herself and she kind of took this abuse uh, without any sort of resistance. And how did this make, how did it make her a, a feminist icon? There's a really good article in the Criterion um, Blu-ray by Amy Taubman where she kind of talks about the, the patriarchal kind of impulse is so um, internalized within this character that she's basically ruined and, and has no idea that she can even stand up to someone like Mr. Dennis. Um, in a way, it's a kind of a total rebuke to movies like Norma Ray and Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore that show these women who are able to assert any some kind of feminist, uh, you know, uh, uh, bravery, uh, but with um, you know this woman who is really just kind of like a drunk and she's really adrift and she doesn't really have any sort of motivations in the movie, and maybe that's more reflective of um, people without privilege. Anyway, the movie's really fascinating. I like it a lot. It's sort of a standout of nineteen early nineteen seventy cinema, and it's definitely worth checking out. So that's my number four on this list, Wanda. I wanted to bring it up. It's a cool movie, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I feel like the definitely the first couple on these lists are here are the movies I just kind of want to talk about, but wasn't that the point of these lists? Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, Todd, number four. Uh, my number four comes from 1981, directed by Hector Babenko, and is called Pijot. And it is a, a movie about a homeless kid who is in this horrible prison in Brazil and then gets out and gets involved in drugs and prostitution. And it's a really bleak movie, but it's an experience that I've seen it once and it stuck with me for a long time. And it, it feels like a Louis Maul movie and how it treats its children as like fully fleshed characters and not like, you know, children. Uh, and it's a masterpiece. And I, I can't imagine another list I would actually put it on other than maybe like if we did some sort of child protagonist or like movies from South America or something like that. So I had to put it on here. And I assume Zach's a big fan of this movie as well. It's totally up his alley. So yeah, Pijot, number four. Believe it or not, I've never seen it. It is on my top list of movies I need to see. When Adam and I did our podcast with Daisuke Beppu, I mentioned it, and he even chastised me for not having seen it. But it is it is high on my list. I, I want to see it. I've wanted to see it for a long time, and everybody who's seen it has echoed your sentiments. It's a great masterwork of South American cinema. And Babenko, it was Babenko's breakout movie, and he did a lot of good movies afterward, right. like Kiss of a Spider-Woman. So, so Todd, what you're saying is when, when, uh, when you win trivia, when you beat me in trivia a little later on, you're, you're going to assign this to Zach to watch for the next podcast. There's a way for him to watch it. There is. <laughs> Criterion came out with their Masterworks of World Cinema, the Martin Scorsese project, and this is part of that box set. So it's, there's no excuse for why I can't watch it. It's on the Criterion app, and that's the only place you can stream it right now. There you go. There you go. All right, on to number three, and that is to me. And my number three is a movie I I love, and I think I love it more than any of you guys do. Actually, on the website, it says Zach hasn't even seen it, which is possibly true. Uh, that is from 1992, Chaplin. Nice. Uh, this is starring Robert Downey Jr. as uh, the one and only Charlie Chaplin. I would say this is probably Robert Downey Jr.'s greatest performance. Uh, the way he's able to transform himself into Charlie Chaplin and completely embody this iconic figure in, in such a way is just stunning. Uh, and it, it's such a well-done movie directed by Richard Attenborough. Uh, and uh, Charlie Chaplin's mother is actually played by Geraldine Chaplin, who is Charlie Chaplin's granddaughter, which is kind of a neat little, uh, neat little thing there. But I mean, you, you watch this movie for one reason, and that is Robert Downey Jr., 
And it is just, it is just amazing the way he's able to disappear into that role. Uh, yeah, his best work. And it is, it is an, an amazing biopic and kind of probably a kind of a standard biopic, especially, you know, it's a nineties movie. There's, it feels like a nineties movie, but the performance he gives and the way he's able to just, it, it's hard to tell when it's, when it's downy and when it's using archival footage with Chaplin. So uh, yeah, I love this movie. So that's my number three. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and I think it's kind of inarguably Downey's best work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, ne- never seen it. Uh, I, I, It was on TCM the other day. I watched a few minutes of it. I was impressed by Charlie Chaplin's uh, stickman prowess, even if it re- he remarkably did not end up with him being in jail. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's Robert Downey Jr. I, wasn't that it's sort of like his comeback movie after his kind of first uh, drug addiction rehabilitation thing. And uh, he got an Oscar nomination for it, right? Yep. Yes, he did. All right. Zach, number three. Okay, well, my number three movie, I believe, comes from the same year, which is 1992. And this is also a movie that is near and dear to my heart. I'm doubting either of you have seen it. It is uh, a, a French-Canadian movie. By the way, French-Canada, very underrated in terms of the, their movie output. And the movie is called Leolo. And uh, technically, it, the, the main character's name is Leo, but he wants people to call him Leolo because he loves uh, Italian culture. And he is this kid in the movie, and he's played by Maxime Colin or Colin. And uh, he lives in Montreal with this terrible family. I mean, his father is this brute. Uh, his this grandfather is this total lech. Uh, he wishes he was from a completely different existence. He has these fantasies that really. Uh, he is the spawn of uh, an Italian woman who was impregnated by a, tor- a tomato. Over the course of the movie, he plots basically his entire family's murder, which sounds a lot more macabre than it actually is. It's actually like a really kind of whimsical fantasy movie that shows this kid as the only way he can deal with the trauma of his life is through the fantasies and through the alter ego that, uh, and persona that he uh, develops. Um, it's it's a wonderful movie. Just one of those really goofy, weird um, early '90s foreign movies that uh, definitely was like a niche sort of product. Uh, I don't think it's possible to make this movie today, but for what it is, it's really special. John uh, Jean Claude Luzon um, was a director who died uh, way too young. He he died shortly after the making of this movie, a few years later, and uh, he made another movie from French Canada called Night Zoo that won eleven Canadian Academy Awards. And it is in my top 10 all time of movies I want to see. And I, there is no copy ever available. It is gone forever. So Criterion, if you're listening, you could always put out Leolo, which I own on DVD, but also put out Night Zoo, which apparently is not supposed to be as good as a Leolo, but, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, I've never seen it, but it's on my list of on my Netflix DVD list, because I remember you had it on your top 100, like when you put that out like a decade ago. So it's been on there and that's. Now I know why. <laughs> yeah, I'm not just pulling shit out of my ass, okay? Like, this is actually a legitimately good movie, so check it out. It's it's worth it. It's 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 hilarious. All right. All right. Thank you for that and also the visual that you just gave us. Uh, Todd, <laughs> number three. Uh, my number three is it's my number one of 2015. It is Carol, directed by Todd um, Here we go. Um it's about a young photographer played by Rooney Mara who starts a relationship with an older woman 
in 1950s and it's a, I mean it's a it's a it's a brilliant movie it's beautiful it's ravishing the acting is some of the best of the last decade it was my number one love story of the 2010s when we did that list and um it's it's Todd Haynes so it's difficult material for him but it makes it he makes it seem like a Todd Haynes movie even though it's way more plot driven and based on something else and yeah I mean I, I love Carol I don't know what I'll say about it it's I had to be on this list that's a that's a predictable pick but you know yeah we should do a power ranking of top five movies we wish we could have reviewed on the podcast before we had a podcast carol would be like my number one i would have loved to have a reaction to it because i like the movie too but not as much as todd and uh it would have been fun to review it and talk and about carrie doesn't like it i don't like it what <laughs> i gave it like two stars oh geez man it's it's a good movie. It's not as great as Todd says, but come on, it's it's definitely worth seeing. I mean, I was bored. <laughs> All right. Wow. It's just a, Terry's opinion. Terry has been the LVP of this podcast. Say first Ghost World, <laughs> then uh, uh, Carol, and a thumbs up to Cruella. I mean, wh what are we doing here? Yeah, Terry, give it two and a half stars. Adam, give yes. it three and a half stars. Zach, give it three and a half. I give it four stars. I'm the LVP of the podcast, says the one who ran out of the room in the middle of a hey, sentence. I was running no. for beer, okay? Do you have respect for well, beer? Because okay, I have I, respect for beer. I have respect for beer. I, if I had shoes, I'd throw them in the air right now. All right. Uh, number two on my list. Uh, now we're getting to the ones that, that are were just essential on my list. They had to be there. Uh, they might be a little predictable, but I don't really care. Number two is Logan. Uh, the uh, final chapter in the uh, Hugh Jackman X-Men saga of him playing uh, Wolverine. We've got him as as uh, an aging Wolverine protecting a kid and also uh, Professor Xavier. It's it's just a brilliant movie. It's it's just so good. I, it, it's awesome to watch in black and white and in color watch the logan noir version is is pretty is pretty great too um hugh jackman is is as good as he as he can be in this especially since he's he's kind of giving this swan song to a character that he had been portraying for at this point 18 years uh and still able to portray him with the same um with the same intensity and uh and just vigor that he started it off with it's a beautiful movie uh, i love it and i had to have it on the list so that's my number two logan i didn't know that was actually going to show up that that's pretty cool yep but is that his name i mean that's yes that's... well i mean as close to his name as we know i think it's probably his name i mean it's not like you know where like he was born Superman and he's not really Clark Kent. So Superman is his actual name. It's not like that. Like Logan's his name. At least that's as, yeah, as far as well, his name is Kal-El. It's not even Superman. Yeah. If there was a movie called Kal-El, we could have knit, we could have put it on the list or a movie called Clark. Yeah. That's not his name. I don't know. I mean, but that, at that point, I don't really care. You could do whatever you want. If you're getting that far into it. All right. Zach, number two. Okay, number two, it also comes... Uh, Terry and I have been on a weird sort of symmetry here. I, I keep... We, we're choosing the same years, but the but different movies. So my movie is what? Was, Logan was from 2015, right? That's, 2017. That's, 
Oh shoot. Okay. Well, then never mind. Well, my my movie's also from the middle of the two thousands, and uh, it's a movie <laughs> that um, I recently rewatched at least a good chunk of it, and was just again absolutely blown away by it. There's a there's a part of me that just wants to boldly proclaim that it's like the greatest movie experiment ever made, and that is Victoria from 2015, directed by Sebastian Shipper. I know Todd's not as big of a fan of this movie as I am, but I mean, this is a movie. So, you know, Birdman wins the Oscar. Everybody's like, oh, you know, Inaratu uh, did it in one shot. No, he didn't. I mean, this movie, you know, obviously there, there was cuts in and out and some pretty bad acting by Emma Stone, who's a bad actor. Um, but, but beside that point, uh, Victoria is the real thing, okay? There is no CGI in this shit. This is a real freaking attempt to do a one-take movie uh, for the whole length of the movie. And this movie is also two hours and 15 minutes like Cruella, but it's a lot better. Um, it takes place over the course of one night in Berlin. And we meet this character named Victoria. No, not Miles's ex, but uh, a much cooler Victoria as she uh, gets, she parties and then she uh, meets these guys and one, and she's uh, this pianist. And uh, gradually she kind of falls under the spell of one of them and before she realizes that he's into not some not so great uh, things like maybe robbing banks and being part of the criminal underworld a little bit. And uh, he wants her to uh, basically be his accomplice big heist that they also have planned for that night that goes terribly terribly wrong and uh i mean this movie is just uh i think riveting from start to finish and the fact that it, it looks real i mean there is nothing staged about this there's no editing in this i mean it is remarkable uh, the imdb page is also remarkable where it says that the uh the, the average um, shot length was uh, 8,000 seconds. I like that. Uh, and then it also talks about how uh, it took three attempts to film the movie. And uh, it's just, it, it, it's remarkable. It's a great movie. And uh, basically, you know, Birdman wins Best Picture for the reason that Victoria was a great movie. And uh, it's unfortunate it doesn't get more recognition. Well, I mean, I like the movie a lot too, but I mean, I'm not going to go as far as to give it a reason to shit on Emma Stone once again. Emma Stone couldn't have played Victoria. A little bit out of her range. I, I don't believe she speaks German. Although I think Victoria actually speaks English in the movie, the more I'm thinking about it. Didn't you just watch it? I, it was a while ago. There was a tasting last night. You know, I, I, don't, I don't remember everything. But Have you seen or heard of this movie, Terry? It's really no. good. Okay, I may have to assign it to you at some point. Okay, all right. It's also longer than Corella, by the way. <clears throat> but he didn't have to see it in a theater, so... No, I saw it on a computer, and it was riveting then, too. Uh, but I can't imagine... Uh, if seeing it in a if I had seen it in a theater, it might be like a top 100 movie for me. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. Or you would have fallen asleep. Or he would have fallen asleep not, and not still claimed all. it as a top 100 movie. Not at all. Even <laughs> though the movie takes place in the middle of the night, there's no way anyone could fall asleep during it. It's amazing. All right. Todd, number two. Uh, my number two is Goldfinger, and um. which is, you know, obviously a last name. Oric Goldfinger is the bad guy. Uh, it's uh, Connery's third Bond movie and still the best in the franchise. And as uh, Connery says, you know, it sounds like a French nail varnish. Uh, <laughs> but um, he's trying to, like, Goldfinger's like trying to break into Fort Knox, I think, and like take over the world, of course. And it's the pinnacle of Bond. You got Oddjob, you got Pushy Galore, and you got, it's like the coolest plot of any Bond movie, and it's Connery at his most ruthless and his most charming, and it's arguably the best action movie ever made. Goldfinger qualifies as number two. 
Yes. Yes. Good call. Good call. Thank you. All right. Moving on to number one. And when I was thinking of what could be number one for me, there's only one name that was in my head. And that's Rocky. I mean, it. why, why is Rocky number one? Because it's Rocky. I mean, it, it's it's one of the most watchable movies like of all time. Uh, you can throw it on at any point in the movie, like if it's on TV and you can just sit there and watch it from there and be completely mesmerized by it. Uh, Sylvester Stallone is I mean, he is Rocky. There's a reason he's revisited that role. I, I don't want to say how many times because I'll probably get it wrong because it's done it so many times. Who Who's portrayed a uh, character more? Sylvester Stallone is Rocky or Hugh Jackman is Logan. That's a great question. Uh, anyways, um, it, it's, it's just, it's a masterpiece. And when I was thinking of what was going to be number one, Rocky was the only thing I could, I, I could even consider. So. There you well, go. it was going to be on my list, but I looked it up and that's not his real name. His real name is Robert. And so I disqualified it because it's a nickname. Oh, but I understand that it's number one. Seriously? Really? Really? When is it revealed that his name is Robert? I don't know. It's probably some Rocky point, Ford. but I looked it up and it says <laughs> on his Wikipedia page, Robert Rocky Balboa. But, I, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. Did you know Carol's real name was Carolyn, and so you can't pick it anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, yeah. no, I'm saying that's what I did, but yeah, I, I, mean, I know it's, it's a great choice. All right, all right, Zach, number one. Yeah, we're gonna run into problems with my number one too. I went and looked at my top 100 list, and I picked the first movie that appeared on my list that had a first name in it. But you probably don't know if it's a first name unless you've seen the movie recently. Screw it, I'm just gonna go with it. I'm going with Junebug. Junebug is the name of a character in the movie. It's just the name of an unborn child. So I'm counting it as a first name basis. And it actually has a lot to do with the story. If you watch Junebug, it is the name of, the, of, of Amy Adams' unborn child. And uh, Junebug is in my top 30 of all time at this point. I am disappointed we didn't do a deep dive of it last year. Maybe we'll have to do it at some other time. Also, second appearance by M. Beth Davids on, uh, on my top list. I just realized that. Anyway, um, I love this movie. I mean, it is all about uh, six completely different characters, uh, all who get together um, because uh, the son in this family in North Carolina is um, engaged or actually married to this very, um, very bougie, uh, sophisticated uh, woman, Madeline, played by M. Beth Davids. This was Amy Adams's coming out role. Uh, she was she got an Oscar nomination for it. it. Launched her into stardom. She's amazing in the movie. I think every actor in this movie is amazing, but particularly Scott Wilson, Ben McKenzie, Celia Weston. I mean, name name. This is an amazing ensemble cast. And uh, yes, it is a name of the character in, in the movie, even though that character is never really seen or heard from. But uh, I'm, I'm calling it a first name movie. Why not? Uh, I don't get to talk about it enough. Um, I, I love this movie. And so it had to be my number one. I was not going to put Bernie on my list because I felt like that was too obvious. Uh, yes, that, that would have been obvious. And his name's Bernard. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's a good God. choice. That was not one that I would have. I mean, not one I would have thought of. But 
I also uh, excluded movies that where the character is not an actual character in the movie or that you don't see in the movie. So I can't think of any other movie like that where the where there's a, a the name of the movie is a character who's never seen. I, that's why I kind of liked about it's, June it, well. the name of the movie is Margaret or Rebecca. I mean, there's not it's not. Oh, those. well, I wasn't thinking Todd movies. OK, th those were not going to be on my list. <laughs> But both are definitely. I can't think of any. Okay, yeah, but those. Okay, two really obvious ones. Is that a tie for your number one? Those were going to be number one, but I excluded them because they're never. They're not characters in the movie. Oh, okay. If I if I had been listening to so, you, so so that was that. another rule. That was something that I did to narrow my list down because I looked at all four star movies that I have, and I have eleven of them. And the way I chose my top five is I took out movies that were nicknames and movies that the characters never seen. Okay. What about Jerry? No one, no one ever sees Jerry. I'm calling bullshit on that. They're both both characters named are named Jerry. Jerry. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, so if they're both named it, that's okay. But if they're not seen, of course. Okay. okay. No All right. Talk like that in one country. Okay. Number one is is Shane from 1953, uh, which um, it's a western uh, and a really kind of a perfect movie. It's a more observant western than than uh, most that were common at the time that were more romanticized, really. And Shane is like this mysterious gunslinger who goes to the small town. And he's forced back uh, into like conflict and violence when the people that he's working for uh, get harassed and by some cattle barons and forced out of their home. And Alan Ladd is in it as, as Shane. He's just iconic in that role. Ben Johnson, Jack Palance, uh, Van Heflin, Brandon DeWilde gives one of the best child performances of all time. And we hardly ever talk about Westerns, so... This is probably the best non-spaghetti Western that I've ever seen. And it, it's gorgeous, and I, I love it. And I've seen it a few times, yeah. Shane's, I mean, it's a great movie. Never seen it. I've never seen it either. Whoa. That's unfortunate. All right. We'll take your word for it, Todd. I saw that on our website, you've seen a movie called Todd. Yes. How that was, was that? Me. Uh... You see, not I, great. Yeah, but, not not a great star rating. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a curiosity. If you watched it, you might, I could see you giving it like three and a half stars, like maybe out of spite. But yeah, shows potential. Mm -hmm. Definite potential for structure down the line. I think. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move into honorable mentions here. Uh, so what I did is I went through and I found all the movies that uh, qualified that were four star or three and a half star. And that gave me 30 movies to pick from. And I've got a list here of seven that were like on the short list from that. Uh, first, I'll go with the ones that <clears throat> I kind of disqualified uh, because uh, Todd, I didn't want Todd to to crap on my picks that much and so um i i would have totally had amadeus on the list but amadeus is a middle name it's not a first or last name and todd said it had to be a first or last name so there you go i also tried to stay away from nicknames so i left sugar off the list an amazing baseball movie um and then there was uh the one that is just debatable on how much of is an actual movie and that's hamilton uh, so I didn't want to have that debate again. So I left that off the list. And then there's another one, which I just talked about like two weeks ago and that's Elling. And that could have easily made my list, but I didn't want to talk about it again since I just talked about it. So the other ones that were on my honorable mentions that weren't those ones were Coco, uh, Milk and Moana. 
And then the other, the rest of the list, there were some, just some highlights I want to throw out there. Stuff like Philomena, Shirley from last year, uh, Evita, and Restrepo. Good calls. Yeah. All right. Zach, All right, I, I mentions. Um, I went, I did not make any arbitrary rules. And uh, obviously. I also had Jerry. I had Joe from 1970, which I was the only fan of. Um, Crumb mentioned earlier in this podcast. Tess, uh, a movie that Todd turned me on to, and I fully agree is a great movie. Una, also with Rooney Mara. Yeah. Uh, Babe, Ted, uh, Shrek, Marty, Misery, which is actually the name of a pig. Um, Heart Eight slash Sydney, Kess, and of course, Troy. Because Brad Pitt in that movie, I think his name was Troy, right? I don't I don't think that was Brad Pitt. I think Troy. Yeah, Troy, right? He's the, the Roman guy? No, Troy. He, he played he Achilles. Plays Achilles. Okay, well, someone in that Troy movie... Is is the Troy is the name of the city. It's well, there you go. It's, it's the name of a... Well, does, yeah, also, Troy is a person, like Troy Donahue. Not a character you see in the movie. Okay, I see. Well, whatever. <laughs> it is. It is a name. That is correct. I was trying to be funny. <laughs> Troy. There's no Troy in the movie. Troy. Okay, never mind. That fell flat. <laughs> That's not what you said. Okay. <laughs> um, my honorable mentions. I, like I said, I, I just qualified Rebecca and Margaret, which probably would have been my number one and number two because they're not actual characters. The nickname movies that I disqualified were Rocky. Bugsy, Lolita, and Manito. Uh, the two that the other two four-star movies that just missed were Serpico and Capote. And the two that I wanted to mention, just because I know I'm bigger fans of it than probably the filmmakers themselves, are Alexander and Cyrus. Nah. Both of which I I mean I could have easily had on the list, but <laughs> they're not technically higher rated than these ones. All right. Well, it is now time to predict Adam's list and what he said are his top five in the one word name titles of movies. All right. Here's my here's my predictions here. I've got number five, Hugo. Number four, Aladdin. Number three, Logan. Number two, Coco. And number one, Creed. Okay, I went number five, Laura. Number four, Socrates. Number three, Juno. Number two, Milk. And number one, Rocky. <laughs> okay. My number, I have a number five, Christine, the Rebecca Hall movie. Number mm. four, Goldfinger. Number three, Patterson. Number two, Creed. And number one, Amelie. All right. Let's see how, let's see how we did. Honorable mention. Uh, so he's got an honorable mention here that he says would be in the top five, uh, but he didn't put it there because it goes by two different titles and he couldn't count it. And that is Leon slash the professional. Ah. I was thinking about putting that on his list too. That, that That's a good call. I have it on my list as a professional, so I didn't even register it. All right. His other honorable mentions, Coco. Uh, Aladdin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tully, Patterson, and, uh, Candyman from 1992, and Frankenstein from 1931. Okay, so his top five. Number five, Goldfinger. Yes. 
Number four, Frida. Wow. Number three, Selena. Number two, Rocky. Oh, Dang it. Man, I would not have gotten that. And number one, Amelie. Yes! <laughs> I still win. <laughs> Come on! Creed! I know, I, I Creed too. Amelie. That's a good movie. Audrey Tatao. That's a 20-year... Have you seen that movie, Terry? It's on the list. I could, It'll be coming up some point it, this at year. At some point, you'll review it, sure. Yep. It's a good one. It's like the Ally McBeal of French movies. <laughs> that was my 29 and a half win. Zach still stuck at 22. Terry's still tuck, stuck at 17. I've been, how long have I been at 17? I haven't picked a topic in forever. Like it's, <laughs> you it's know been that, like four months. Did you know he's a fan of Amelie or did you look on the website, Todd? Just be honest. No, I remember when he watched it and we talked about it. But uh, Inside information. Yeah. He but I think it is on his top 100. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he wins this. Todd actually talks. He has actually has. Oh, we should have a, we should have a handicap. We I don't even talk to Adam. Are you kidding me? Everyone, everyone that we win should be worth two points. And then, uh... well, technically, you talked to Adam more during our podcast in Vegas than you talked to us. <laughs> and you were sitting in the same. I room talked about us. Adobe Premiere, man. I, <laughs> I was going to say it was all about <laughs> Adobe Premiere. Uh, all right. Yep. Todd wins. He gets to pick next topic again. I got then we'll have to argue about the, yeah we'll have to argue about the rules again. <laughs> Way to go into Forrest Gump there, Terry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we both did. All right, uh, trivia time. Uh, let's see here. Zach won last time. Todd, uh, Zach beat Todd, so uh, he got to assign us movies to watch. This is what I don't win. <laughs> I never win trivia. <laughs> All right, Todd, you're gonna go first. Tell us what you had to watch. Uh, I had to watch the 1997 Peter Cohn movie called Drunks. Uh, Zach reviewed it on episode 74 of the podcast. He said it had under 1,000 votes, and now it's at 1,026. Yeah. So, hashtag yeah, influencers fair. or whatever. Um, it follows a guy named Jim, played by Richard Lewis, who gives a monologue about his struggles with drinking at an, uh, at an AA meeting. And then the rest of the movie is him relapsing elsewhere and also... Uh, following this like star studded cast of characters that give their few minute like monologues about their own addiction at the meeting. The cast is really unbelievable in, in retrospect, like it's got Oscar winners before there were Oscar winners. It's got like Oscar royalty. It's got Calista Flockhart before she was Alan McBeal, Parker Posey, cause it was a nineties movie and, um, and, and podcast favorite Kevin Corrigan is also in there, even though I don't actually know that he talks. Just I don't background. remember him in it. <laughs> I don't. I, guess, I, don't, I think he's just in the background, but he's definitely in a few shots. Um, uh, all the characters. Are, I like that they're all from different walks of life. They they all they act like they actually are sort of each other's best friends, even or like they actually can be fully honest with each other, and they actually are genuinely happy to see each other because that's a really interesting way to go. I've never been to an AA meeting. I don't know what that that dynamics actually like. Zach in his review acted like he had like that's really common. So that's interesting. Um, some of the reveals seem a bit off, but that's probably more performance and everything. It does have ups and downs in terms of like who's actually good. Sam Rockwell is in it. He looks like he thought he was playing Steve Buscemi in the movie, <laughs> and but he's great at that. He probably could have been the Steve Buscemi of that era. Um, Howard E. Rollins Jr. 
has a great heartbreaking monologue and Amanda Plummer is in it. She's one of a kind. Calista Flockhart might be the MVP. Her, her party is really great. And there's this one guy that I loved. He just like wanders into the meeting looking for choir practice. Yeah. And then he decides to sit down. Yeah. He just describes like how much he loves making boiler makers and how much he loves like the, the, the crisp, uh, like shot going into the beer and stuff. Even though he's not an alcoholic, he's basically taunting them about how much he loves to drink, even though he doesn't realize he's doing it. That, that is a, a great low key douchebag and really kind of <laughs> awesome character. I also don't like Richard Lewis in the movie. Like his, I, I, I needed more like of the raw storytelling things. I don't want to watch his dumbass stumble around outside. Like he's the worst actor that's actually in the movie. And it could have been like an anthology thing. If you're going to do stuff like that, then you should follow each character for like an episode or something like that. But instead we just get him and it's, he's not really interesting <laughs> to watch. Um, it was based on a play called blackout, which probably would have been a better title. Uh, but uh, I mean, drunks is a, is a decent title. You know what the movie's about. Uh, so, but it did. So it, I guess it did have some constraints of how it could be told in the story because it is based on something else. Um, I did really like the movie though. Like 90% of it is really kind of fantastic. And I've given it three and a half stars. Yes. You Ooh. haven't given one of my movies three and a half stars in a long freaking time. I guess you gave in the family three and a half stars, but I was really pulling for this one. I love this movie. In fact, when I assigned it to you, I rewatched it because it's, you know, it's 90 minutes. It's an easy watch. It is a great movie. It is almost worthy of a deep dive because of all the different star power in the movie Everybody's amazing in the movie. Faye Dunaway is great in the movie. Diane Weist is great in the movie. You didn't mention them. Howard E. Rollins, yeah, he's probably the MVP of the movie. And uh, tragically, he died not too long after the making of the movie. I think there were some real-life parallels with his character in it. But uh, I love Richard Lewis in this movie, man. I, I'm disappointed about that. He should have played Jim Valvano in a 90s movie. He would have been a great uh, no, actor in that. But um, I, I love this movie. I think it's uh, one of those – I think the distributor botched it. Uh, I don't know how a movie with this much of a cast uh, is just completely forgotten, but uh, it, it's too bad. Thank you for Canopy for having it, but it's it's an awesome movie. I've never been to an AA meeting either. I've, I've read a lot about AA, especially from Roger Ebert's memoir, where he talks about it in depth, and uh, it seems like that's a very accurate depiction. Yeah, they just all act like they know each other, even though they all come from different places. You could tell they don't talk outside of there, but they're like, they treat each other like they're their best friends, like the, when they get there. And I think that's awesome. The big Tim high roller of that movie is definitely Parker Posey. I mean, she has a great speech in that movie about, oh, I wish it was the 70s, man. And I love football. I love the Dallas Cowboys. I want that character needs her own movie. But like every Parker Posey character, I guess. But uh, she's great in that. <laughs> right. All right. All right. So that's what Todd had to watch. Now on to me. I was assigned to watch one of Zach's all-time favorite movies. And that is from, what is this, from 1991? The Man in the Moon. Uh, this is starring Sam Waterston, Tess Harper, Reese Witherspoon, Jason London, Emily Warfield, and Gail Strickland. Uh, it's a coming-of-age story in uh, kind of the country in the 50s uh reese witherspoon in her first uh film role is really the main character here uh five minutes into this movie i'm looking at it and saying oh zach probably likes this because it feels so much like my girl like to start off with and then as i watched it, i realized just how right i was um 
so this is this is yeah the story of a coming of age story of reese witherspoon's character danny who uh who has her first her first big crush on uh on the local family friend uh court played by jason london uh who is several years older than her um and and he thinks she's a pretty great kid and doesn't really want to go much further than that uh and then he meets uh danny's sister maureen played by emily warfield and all that changes and uh it's it's a pretty amazing movie. I really enjoyed this. Uh, I thought my favorite character in it was Sam Waterston. Just to simply see him in something different, like I, you you see that face and all you think of is he's this, he's the Law and Order guy. But to to see him in something like this, uh, it it totally took me out of that. And he is such a fascinating character. Um, and of course, Reese Witherspoon right away. You can tell that she has that that it factor that you can't really teach and uh, how easily she made the jump from, from child acting in this to being an adult was pretty seamless. I think uh, it, it's, it's a great movie. I'm giving it three and a half stars. Uh, it, it's, it, it was just, it was a solid movie and, and yeah, it, uh, I was so right that it is just a, a nostalgic coming of age story for Zach, a la my girl. But it's it is a very good movie, just like my girl was. Yeah, it's kind of a backhanded insult, but whatever. I think uh, <laughs> there was a time when this movie was in my top ten. Many conversations with Todd where he shit on it. I mean, he gives it three stars, but I, you know, I I understand maybe not. See, this movie has been in my life for most of my life. I mean, I saw it. I think when I was in seventh grade, I've always loved it. It's always made me, uh, I guess, subconsciously root for Reese, Reese Witherspoon in, in movies. Um, it's probably not a top 10 movie for me anymore, in part because it takes place in Louisiana in the 50s and there are no black people in it. It's a little bit of like I, that that aspect of it. I don't think is aged particularly well. But uh, what it does uh, based on, you know, what the story is trying to do, I think it does a better job than pretty much uh, the 99.9 percent of other movies. I mean, it is a teen romance that doesn't feel contrived or artificial or or or. Um, you know, uh, YA. I mean, it feels very mature. It feels very confident. The characters are so well drawn, particularly, like you said, Terry, the parents, the Tess Harper and Sam, Sam Larson characters are uh, so, uh, I think, nuanced and accurate. It feels very right that they're, it's set in the 1950s. They feel like 50s parents, but it doesn't feel like ironic or leave it to Beaver. Um, I think Reese Witherspoon is radiant in that movie, uh, but she's not necessarily, I, I mean, she's kind of like a, a little edgy, a little weird. Um, I love it. I, it. It goes in some unexpected ways. It's, it's riveting. And I think the last scene is just about perfect. Ebert was the one who turned me on to this movie. He had it in his top 10 of 91. It's, again, one of those movies that's been long forgotten. Unfortunately, Reese Witherspoon had a big career, but uh, I think that's the reason people watch it today. But as, as a movie on, on its own, I think it's a great movie. It's my number well, one of 91. Well, like you said, it, when, when, you, uh, when you see it at the right time in your life, I can see the impact it has. And, and we've said it several times, one of the, the strengths of the 90s was being able to pull the sentimentality and nostalgia out of a movie and, and make that bring that to the forefront. And when you see a movie at the right time of your life in your life, that's filled with that sentimentality that you buy into and that nostalgia, I can totally see how this would have been 
I mean, seeing it as a seventh grader, thinking it's one of the greatest movies you've ever seen. And and it and it is a very very good movie. And probably if I had seen it at the same time in my life as you did, I'd probably be right there with you. God, yeah, I, I have it ranked. Uh, I, I have it as a three and a half star movie. I have it. It's showing as my number fifteen of nineteen ninety one. Oh, but so it's, I don't dislike. I mean, but I I think the conversation has always been I love River Runs Through It, and that is a movie that Zach doesn't respond to as much. I've never seen a river runs through it. I think I've seen it in pe- bits and pieces, but I should I should sit down and watch it. Well, there's another movie you could assign to him, Todd. There we go. I'll never win. All right. Well, you're playing me, so there's a shot. Here we go. So it's trivia yeah, time. But according to your shirt, I don't have a shot. Oh yes, yes. We'll be bringing that up in a little bit. All right. It might be my quote of the day. Just just wait okay. for it, Zach. Just wait for it. All right, Zach. It is it is trivia time. All right. Do you guys have uh, notebooks and pencils? Get get out your pencils. Get get out. I, I I love this new addition to the podcast that Adam added randomly. I think it's great. It's wonderful. It's a visual element. So uh, wow, visual element for the say, audio medium. Well, you already pour jerseys out. I didn't hear what Todd said, but <laughs> I'm I'm now I'm obsessed with Terry's shirt. I mean, this is like this is like. Wow, this is like Alexander wearing a Frass Canyon shirt on the set of Sideways. I mean, there is something very meta about that shirt. But okay, I'm there, sure there's, there's a story, a story behind, behind it. it. I will tell. I will okay, tell I'm when sorry. we get to the end. I'm of just this. distracted. Okay, so uh, <laughs> it's in honor of first names, uh, what we're going to do this time is a little bit of Oscar trivia and first name trivia. I'm going to give you a category: actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, and I'm going to give you the five first names of the characters that the Academy Award nominated uh, actors and actresses portrayed. You have to tell me the year and the category in which uh, I, these characters' names are being brought up. So you're giving the first names of the characters. Correct. And we have to give the. We have to give category. year and category. Year and category. Correct. And they're going to be all. They're all actors. They're not, this isn't going to be like costume designers or something. No, this is right? just the main four categories. The main, the acting categories. A- acting categories, correct. Okay. okay. Costume designers don't have names in movies. The last I saw. <laughs> well, according to Corella, <laughs> that's true. Okay, so <laughs> we're gonna start. I'm gonna try to start with with a relatively easy one, so you kind of get the gist of what we're what we're going for. So uh, you give me the the year and the category, and the names of the five characters portrayed in this category were Howard, Travis, Pascalino. Max and Rocky. <laughs> Probably not too many characters Robert. named Rocky. Oh, Robert. Robert. Excuse me. 1976 actor. Yes, 1976 hey. actor. Hey, you both get a point for that one. There we go. Okay, this so I need first to blurt it out. Well, I they're not going to all be that easy, unfortunately. Okay, but uh, yes. Okay, so you both get a point for that one. Um, we're going to make things a little bit harder here. Here is the next category. Uh, Lee. Desmond, Sebastian, Ben, and Troy. I'll say them one more time. Lee, Desmond, Sebastian, Ben, and Troy. Oh. All right. Uh, Todd gets the Todd gets a point for that one. All right, Jerry, uh, I, got, I just I have a guess, but it, I, I I'm just throwing darts right now. Uh, 2000 supporting actor. That is incorrect. The correct yeah. answer is the 2016 uh, best actor race. 
Todd got that what one. He right. is the name of Manchester by the Sea. That's Ken, Casey Affleck. Correct. And Troy uh, is Denzel Washington in Fences and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Uh, next year and category, we have, let me get this up here Vera, Julia, Maggie, Maria, and Clementine. Dude, that's a poor actress. That's what I wrote too. Uh, get correct on both counts. Good job. We're gonna go with Clementine. Yeah, Not yeah, yeah. Clementines. Maybe I had it actually those. before Clementine, but Julia, I mean, when... I was thinking two thousand nine, and then yeah, but Clementine, the... I was like, yeah, no. But then when there was another character whose name was in the title of the movie, in Maria. Oh. Good call. Yeah, yeah. Just just to just to throw this out there. So Todd and I just spent the weekend together because it was my birthday and we went up and we were celebrating as a family. And whenever Todd and I get together, we play a game where we go back and forth through every major category, starting with the most recent and see how far back we can go. So th this is fairly fresh in both of our heads. So well, this will be fun. Okay. Yeah. Well, if unless you go past 2002. Yeah, 2002 <laughs> is as far as we went. All right, well, the next category is Larry, Max, Jack, Owen, and Eddie. That's wrong. That is I just very, realized it's wrong. Very wrong, but that's okay. A, a, an admirable attempt. Well, I know one of the actors. 1980 right? actor? That is also wrong. The correct answer is 2004 Best Supporting Actor. Thomas Hayden Church is oh. Jack. Alan Alda is oh. Owen. Morgan Freeman, I was being a little tricky here. His name is in, in the movie is Eddie, but he goes by Scrap. Uh, Max is Jamie Foxx. Larry is Clive Owen. No points there. Well, Matt, Max is the name of De Niro in Cape Fear. That's what I was... That was the only uh, thing I was uh, Not a bad guess. Okay. Uh, your next category is... Sandra, Amy, Alice, Jane, and Cheryl. Okay, 72 actress is incorrect. And what is that? 20... 2014 actress. 2014 actress is correct. Still Alice, baby. Still Alice. Um, I don't know for Alice doesn't live here anymore. Not a bad guess. Todd gets the yep. point. The score is 4-2. to two. Well, Todd leads. Scorsese. It's <laughs> <laughs> our only reference point. Pretty much. All right, five categories left. Max, Simon, Sean, John, and Jack. Uh, both supporting actor, Todd gets it. It is the 97 supporting actor race. Dr. Sean McGuire, Robin Sean. Williams, Max Cherry, John Quincy Adams, Simon Bishop, and uh, the greatest filmmaker of all time, Jack Horner. All right, Todd has five. Uh, Terry has two. Next category. Karen, Mahaley, Bryony, Helene, and June. I think one of those might have been a giveaway. I've never heard the name in any other context. Okay, well, I need to both give that. That was give a freebie. All right, 2007 Best Sporting Actress. That was a little too easy. Okay. 
next one. Sonny, Harry, William, Randall, and Arthur. Was Dudley Moore nominated for Best Actor? I got nothing. I know it's not. I know it's not seventy-four sporting actor. I don't know what other Sonny there is. I'm gonna go. I'm throwing something out. Oh, seven actor. No, that is incorrect. You don't know another Sonny? Well, of course, Nicolas Cage played Sonny. Well, but, no, not that uh, was nominated. The most famous Sonny in movie history, besides Sonny Corleone, was Sonny from Dog Day Afternoon, which is 1975 Best Actor. Randall P. McMurphy, Sonny Wartzik, Harry S. Truman, and then two actors that, two names that I don't really know anything about. Okay. Uh, two more categories to go. We have for our next category. Uh, oh, that one's too easy. Shoot. I'm going to change it up a little bit. Let's go. Um, <laughs> yeah, because we're doing so well. <laughs> You're doing well. I'm doing horribly. Sarah, Sammy, Aaron, Lane, and Vian. Sam again? You cut out a little bit. Sarah. Sarah. Sammy. Sammy, Aaron, Lane, and Vianne. Todd got it. Doesn't look like Terry has it. Hold on, hold on, hold oh, on. Maybe, hold on. I'd, maybe. Okay. I might be wrong. I'm probably wrong. Uh, wait. No. Crud. We're going to go that. Supporting actress. No, then I'm wrong. Then. No, that is incorrect. The correct answer is 2000 actress. actress 2000. Okay, so Todd Parker. gets the point for that. So we're going to make this last one kind of interesting because why not? Todd has seven points. Terry has three. The last question is worth five points. Of course it is. So <laughs> here it is. John. Richie. John. Frank. And Amos. John, Richie, John, Frank, and Amos. For all the marbles. I got... I have no idea. I have one answer that I know is right. Oh, sorry. There you go. Todd says 2002 supporting actor. Terry, do you have any guesses? No. That is the correct answer, by the way. 2002 supporting actor. Nicely done, Todd. Frank John... William Abagnale Sr. That's yep. how I got that shit. John LaRoche. <laughs> Amos, the John C. Riley from Chicago. Nicely done. Wow. Wow. I was Todd going on one name on almost all of those. <laughs> it was Frank. I'm not supposed to get that. You Would you have gotten that if we had not done that? category no, last night that is a negative <laughs> We're not <a> government. <laughs> all right well there we go that's trivia time to move on to quote of the day todd you won you get to go first my quote comes from shane uh it's a little back and forth between rufus and jack played by jack palance and it's it, i think it's something we could all relate to when uh you're at work it's at a 
Rufus says, I like start too. I'll kill him if I have to. I tell you, I'll kill him if I have to. And Jack's like, you mean I'll kill him if you have to. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. All right, Zach. Uh, I have a couple quotes, uh, neither of which are from Emma Stone, because find a great Emma Stone quote. It doesn't exist. Um, Super bad. The first quote is the... Uh, the tagline for the man in the moon, which I think is a, one of the greatest, ta- maybe the greatest tagline in movie history. Remember when you couldn't wait for your life to begin, to begin, and then one day it did. Great tagline. Almost could describe every movie. Um, okay, but the real quote I have is uh, from a, an anecdote from Ebert's review of Leolo. Apparently, Leolo was on the path to win the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival in 1992, but the director was kind of a jackass, Jean-Claude Luzon, and uh, he said... According to Ebert, he found himself next to Jamie Lee Curtis, who was one of the jurors on the on the Palm Door uh, committee, and uh, he introduced himself and said, "What the boy does in the film to the piece of liver, I want to do to you." And uh, that apparently sunk Leolo's chances of winning the Palm Door. Unfortunately, Ebert cast some doubt upon that uh, because Jamie Lee Curtis is a good sport and maybe would laugh at that, but. Uh, it's a great quote, nonetheless. What what the boy in the film does to the piece of liver, I want to do to you. That describes Leolo, I think, kind of perfectly. Nice, nice. All right, so now to me. Now here comes the story. So, um, so my birthday was Saturday, and um, recently one of my students found out about the podcast and Uh-oh. started listening. Ooh. And uh, and Bad. for my birthday, he got me this T-shirt and his T-shirt actually quotes me from our Forrest Gump episode, which was episode 47 of our podcast. <laughs> and a it's a quote of ago. me. And it says, I'm just saying that when it comes to the best guesses, I am much better at guessing than Todd is. <laughs> <laughs> And it would have gone over so much better if I had just won trivia, but I didn't. <laughs> That's really funny because my students have been finding out about the podcast as well. And one of them named their final project, There Is No Salvation Almost Sideways. <laughs> Shout out to you if you're listening. Are, are, are very young people. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Shout out to Micah. Thank you so much for the shirt. That's an amazing gift. I, I, it, it, it's, it's like, like top three teacher gifts I've ever gotten before. Like this is right up there with my Seattle Supersonics T-shirt. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, with that, we're gonna draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, again, make sure you subscribe, rate, review, write us a review if you want to, please, and we'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side. And if yeah, you're isn't that if you're a student listening, don't buy drugs. When you're a podcaster, they give them to you for free. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.